This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. What's the latest in ATM skimming security threats, trends, solutions? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking with Chuck Summers, Vice President of ATM Security and Systems with Diebold. Chuck, thanks for joining me today. Pleasure to be here. So, Chuck, I know you've done a lot of work in the past couple of years, and before we sat down to talk, you were outlining for me the organization that you're in charge of. Tell us a little bit about the work that you've done at Diebold, specifically in terms of ATM security. I'm happy to. I happen to lead a group of people who are focused on ATM security for Diebold. Um, the, the components of that group include the responsibility for the portfolio of solutions we have, those that are already created and deployed, those that are in the process of being created, and those that we're considering strategically. Uh, the marketing of those and what that really means is the linkage between our internal organizations, the sales, and the customers to make sure that we're effectively deploying the solutions. Uh, the project and program management of all of those uh, solutions to make sure that they effectively hit our dates. And then finally, the architecture of the uh, logical security piece of that and delivery of the logical security components. And we're talking about global security issues here, not just regional, correct? We're talking about global security issues. We receive incident reports on a daily basis from all reaches of the globe. Uh, we publish internally, uh, intended to go out to the customers, uh, security alerts when we see something. We began only only sending those out regionally and then realized that it really did have global implications. So now we send those security alerts globally. Now, part of your work, I know, has been sort of detecting what the key vulnerabilities are. And I know you've got it down to three core areas. What are those? Those core areas that we determined based on the risk analysis that we did were the physical security, which is the securing of the assets, the torch attack, grind attacks, or you know bulldozer attacks of the machines, the logical security, and that really means protecting it against malware, and then finally the, uh, the fraud, which is really card and currency fraud on the machines and the skimming attacks. What's the priority of those vulnerabilities now? Which is, say, the, the bigger of the three? The larger of the three, uh, in terms of losses for financial institutions, is and remains fraud. The card fraud, and those are typically... Um, the fraud typically occurs by the attachment of external skimmers onto the machines and some type of a pin recording device to be able to do that. Yeah. And does that remain the same global, that fraud is your biggest vulnerability? Or? Fraud seems to be the biggest vulnerability globally in terms of losses. However, um, in several geographies that have experienced logical security breaches, um, Eastern Europe, uh, which was well documented several years ago by Visa, um, as well as some recent incidents in Latin America, have certainly raised those customers' um, knowledge about that as well as their reaction to it. Okay. So in response to these vulnerabilities that you've studied, I know you've focused on a couple of key areas. What are those? Well, the key areas that we, that we focus on is we look at what the risks are, we look at what the attack vectors are, and then we validate to see if we have or have already deployed solutions, if the solutions are deployed or affected to be able to do that. Um, we get very frustrated when we have solutions that are available to go that aren't deployed because what that really means is we haven't done a good enough job educating our customers as to what is available and what the real risks are to be able to do that. In the area of fraud, really there's two, it's two parts on that one. First is prevention, with various techniques to do that, and then the second one is detection. Yeah. You do a fair amount in education. Tell me about that. Well, we have um, in North America this year 39 cities or 39 seminars broken up into 39 cities where we spend a whole day um, in a city, uh, three hours in the morning, a lunch with the Secret Service, and three hours in the afternoon going through, what the, what, going through the various vulnerabilities as well as going through um, 
some of the mitigating things that they can do for that. It is an education piece. It is not at all a sales pitch, you know, relative to those solutions. Those can happen afterwards if people are interested. Uh, but what we're really trying to do is raise the awareness of the financial institutions that are out there. I just got done working on a session with a banking security leader who said for all the efforts that we put into awareness, there's not evidence that we've prevented a dollar's worth of fraud. What are your thoughts on, on what we put into education and awareness? Well, I, 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 let me put it this way. Up until two years ago, Diebold was not in the uh, in the business of educating the customers in terms of that. So we think that w- what we have seen over the past couple of years is a gap between the the vulnerabilities that are being exploited and the deployment of solutions that already exist. We think that that's due to an ineffective way of being able to communicate or have those conversations. And we're now having the conversations with the fraud and risk people at the financial institutions, not just the ATM operations people. And we think that's a key. Let's talk about some of the trends that you're seeing in the marketplace right now. And skimming, of course, comes up to the top here. What can you tell us about skimming trends that you're seeing globally? What we're seeing globally is a maturation of the market. We're seeing significant investments in miniaturization and componentization. We see that the uh, people who are creating the skimmers are are scientists. These are not garage shop people. They are taking advantage of trends in terms of um, miniaturization of components, in terms of battery life, in terms of uh, uh, miniaturization of uh, the storage media, in terms of short-range communications. Um, And so what we're seeing is true investment from the criminals in being able to be better at their trade. And then what we're seeing is a complete disaggregation of the crime in that there's centers of excellence to be able to create the skimmers, um, there's mules that go out to be able to attach them and collect. There's centralization of the data and the storage and the sale of that information. And then there's mules that go out to be able to collect, to um, duplicate the cards and collect. And so, therefore, it's really a chain. Um, it is, it is uh, highly organized. It is highly well-funded. And so, therefore, we continue to see investment in the, the, the manufacturing portion of that as a result of this whole chain. What difference do you see with the uh, the predominance of EMV in different marketplaces now? Is that affecting skimming trends? It, it affects the redemption part of the skimming trend. In other words, if I am an EMV issuer someplace in Western in, in Western Europe, and um, I, I give a card to you, I, and the card is then redeemed, that same card is redeemed inside the um, east inside the Western European Union. Um, I know for a fact that that card is a card that was issued, and so therefore it's not can't be skimmed. If, however, a skimmer is attached to that device, and the mag stripe is recorded, and then and then subsequently attempted to be redeemed outside of the uh, of the European Union, um, I have to have fraud analytic capabilities to be able to detect that that was a, a non. Uh, EMV, uh, non-EMV terminal that the, that the card happened on. So what we look at is East's numbers from year to year, we see a significant decline in losses, even though the number of skimming incidents remained the same. And what we're attributing that to is that all of the back-end fraud analytics are now turned on non-EMV issuing, uh, non-EMV acquiring terminals. Right. Now, you hinted at this before, and it sounds like the criminals are getting a whole lot better. <laughs> criminals are getting better and smarter. Um, it's also, unfortunately, there's a high ROI on this crime. You know, if you know, at the end of the day, even the people who were out there taking the biggest risks, either attaching the skimming devices or, or redeeming the fraudulent cards, even if they do get arrested with their criminal wares, if they do get arrested, if they do get prosecuted, they do pretty soft time in in, in, in a local in a local jail. Um, to take the same, to, to look for the same type of return going in and robbing a bank, for example, they're looking at 25 to life with guns. So, you know, it's a, it's a much more 
attractive crime for criminals. Yeah, you make a good point there. I've thought the same thing because I've heard criminals say to the police that this is the crime of choice because it's, it's low contact, low risk, and if they, they walk into a bank with a gun, there's an automatic 25 years there. Mm -hmm. And you, we've got to come to a point where if you walk up to a terminal with a skimmer, that there's an additional sentence attached to that. There's some education that needs to go on there about that. Um, as this crime continues to occur, people, I mean, it's more lucrative than drugs, and it's, a, with, again, lo, a higher ROI because there's a lower chance of being caught and also a lower punishment when the crime occurs afterwards. It is nonviolent by nature. You, know, you don't need a gun to be able to do this, so I think the courts to date have looked at this a little more leniently than they have on any other types of robberies. Right. And, and we're just talking the United States, you get into some of the global marketplaces and it almost feels like it's encouraged. Uh, um, yeah, uh, it, I wouldn't say encouraged, but I would say that they're dealing with far more um, heinous crimes and acts than, 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 than this is today. Chuck, tell me about the evolution of malware. Well, the interesting thing about malware is that um, our first exposure to it in, um, in, in spades came December 24, 2008. That's when we were made aware of the fact that there was malware, malware running in Russia. When we worked with, um, with Visa and with Trustwave, um, who, who did some of the forensics with Visa, and then CERT, um, um, out of the Carnegie Mellon Institute, we, we, we did some uh, examination of the malware and found that it was quite sophisticated. It, there was version control, configuration management. There were 14 separate versions that we were able to analyze. And a significant amount of what um, that malware did um, was to be able to remain um, silent. In other words, it was intended to be there for a long time. So we know that someplace in Eastern Europe, because that's where its origin seems to be from, uh, there is a an engineering facility that every day a group of software engineers goes in with the sole intent to be able to steal money from Devolt and NCR machines. And what we're hoping to be able to do eventually is to find, where, find out where they are. Unlike that attack, um, some so the attacks that we've seen in Latin America, much less sophisticated, require much more access to the machine on an ongoing basis, and yet um, are still able to to, to do what, it, what, the, what the malware was intended to do, which is to steal customer information. Well, th this interests me because it seems like you've got some unique footprints in different global marketplaces. What are some of those? I'm not sure. Well, unique schemes, unique brands um, of, it, of attacks. It would appear that um, the the ones that happened out of out of uh, out of Eastern Europe, and and I, whether it's I don't know what, what what country they came out of, those appear to have. Um, had access at some point in time to some type of source code, whether that was stolen or whether they, they you know, hired people um, or, or for whatever reason. Um, significant amount of engineering work design that went into, that, went into that. Um, what happened down in Latin America, much more rudimentary using older features of, you know, ability to be able to look at log files or trace files that have long, in, 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 in recent releases of software, long since been removed. Yet when the software is not upgraded, um, the, the vulnerability remains. So. Um, Various different strains or variants started completely separately by completely different organizations with no apparent DNA connection between them. Right. Any spe specific trends you're seeing in Asia? Uh, none to date. Mm -hmm. None to date. Um, in Asia, you know, depending on the country over there, we see some sophistication, a lot of sophistication in the skimming attacks that have gone on over there. Um, Australia, we've seen some sophistication in the um, explosive attacks that they've had, that they've had there. Physical security. Physical security, yes. Yeah. Um, there, there was a ramp. There was a a, a, um, a a period of time when an awful lot of uh, oxyacetylene explosions were occurring, where they were mixing, you know, mixing the gas in the in the in the safes and then blowing the safes. Yeah. Well, you see it all, don't you? 
it's an interest. It's an interesting perspective on the banking on the banking sector that um, previous to now uh, being in software and professional services, I'd only had been on the periphery of. Now I live it. Yes, Chuck. One of the things we were talking about before we sat down here was the uh, the sort of migration from external to internal threats against ATMs. What can you tell us about that? We're starting to see, and in no way, shape, or form am I painting that, you know, it's a massive wholesale migration from external to internal. Predominantly still we're seeing external skimmers. However, we're starting to see more and more on a regional basis um, internal skimmers. And what that really means is when people have had access to the inside of the ATM and have either replaced the existing card reader with a modified card reader have gone in and, and soldered something onto the boards at that time that they're trying to tap into the electronic circuitry inside. Now, two things about that. One is it, it, it requires different physical access characteristics than external skimmers. So, you know, other types of policies, procedures, and, and, and safeguards, you know, can or should be in place. Um, the second thing is there's really no way for a person to be able to detect the presence of an internal skimmer. A consumer can't see it. So um, the as as this as as we when we start to see more of this, you know, as we get more effective at preventing and detecting the external skimmers, we think that this is a, a trend that we'll start seeing more of. Yeah. So let's boil this down to some advice that we can offer to financial institutions globally. What do they need to be doing themselves to prevent and detect? some of these scams? Well, first of all, they need to be looking at the risk profile of their ATMs. In other words, um, machines that sit inside guarded lobbies have a different risk profile than machines that sit on an island with no, with no video camera surveillance. So what they need to look at is really where they've chosen to deploy their, deploy their ATMs, and then what types of vulnerabilities might those ATMs have as a result of those locations. And then finally, what capabilities should they be deploying to be able to either prevent or to detect. And when we say detect, what we really mean is, are they part of the branch alarm system? Are they part of the ATM software monitoring? In other words, if I detect the skimmers on a machine, I need to tell somebody. So there's two ways, two paths to go up right now. We need to work with those institutions and, 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 and to allow them to prepare themselves for that. It's really about risk. Right. Chuck, thanks so much for your time and your insight today. Thank you very much. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.